On today's episode, I talk about how you can use another business's cash flow to finance an acquisition and add lots of revenue to your company. I hope you enjoy it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Wildlife Control Podcast. My name is Kyle Waltz, and for the past 12 years, I've been running my own wildlife removal business and pest control business as well. Right now, I run a company called Conserve, and Conserve is based throughout the southeastern United States, Texas, California, and I wanted to talk to you guys about acquisitions today, the massive opportunity in wildlife control right now. You'll see some of the larger players do some big acquisitions in wildlife control, and right now you are probably seeing more activity in mergers and acquisitions in wildlife control, which is a really good thing if you are an owner of a wildlife removal business. I think the more buyers you can bring to the table, the higher the valuations are and the more money in your pocket. So there's a massive massive opportunity. And I think the reason that there's such a massive opportunity is because there's not a ton of activity. If you compare wildlife control to pest control, for instance, uh, if you have a, a larger pest control business, you know, let's say you're doing few million dollars or more you're a very sought after business if you have a lot of good things going for your business there are a lot of individuals and uh, strategic buyers out there that would love to take over your business and you're going to be able to get a really good valuation on your company and put some serious money in your pocket but if you have a wildlife control company Unfortunately, that's just not the case. Uh, There's not a lot of buyers. There's definitely more activity I've seen in the past 12 months. Um, But there's not a ton of buyers out there right now. And so why is that good for you? Well, if you are running a wildlife control company or even a pest control company, it's good for you because the sellers don't have a lot of options. And when the sellers don't have a lot of options, you're able to control the situation a lot more because there's not that much demand. So if you are running your business, you're ready to retire, or you're just ready to switch careers, you hate the industry, it's a tough industry, I don't blame you. But if if you want to get out of the industry and you have this business and you could be a one-man show a two-man show, or maybe you even have five or ten guys. There's not a lot of options. And, you know, for instance, if you were to come to me, and, and we're, we're happy to look at deals anywhere in the country, but if you were to come to me and you're in an area that I'm just not interested in, then, you know, we're not even going to be at the table to give you an offer. Uh, but... You, you're counting on buyers to come to the table. So if there are no buyers at the table, what are you going to do with your business? You can close it down. 
Uh, you sell off whatever assets you have, you know, sell off the vehicles, the equipment one by one, kind of a slow process. Uh, I guess you could sell it to your employees if they want that response, excuse me, if they want that responsibility. But uh, there's there's no guarantee that they are going to want that responsibility. So there's there's just not a lot of options for you. So that's why it's good. It's good if you're a buyer when there's sellers that don't have a lot of options. And there are literally businesses in our industry, and I see this quite often. They've been at this for a while. They're a one-man show, two-man show, three-man show, and they're ready to exit, and there's nobody coming to the table. And in some instances, they want a lot more for their business than what we would be willing to pay for it. And unfortunately, that doesn't leave them with a lot of options. So sometimes when they meet with us, they realize, hey, we need to tweak some things. And then we're going to come back to you in the next couple of years. And then we'll we'll sell um, once we tweak those things because then they can get a higher valuation. But for a lot of companies, they're just not willing to do that. So it's it's a lot more work to go in and tweak tweak things and change the way that you were operating. So you may not have that opportunity to exit with a lot of money in your pocket or any money in your pocket. So that's why it's a huge opportunity. It's a huge opportunity for me as a buyer, for you as a buyer, to grow through acquisitions. If you're a pest control company and you want to grow through acquisitions, it's going to cost some serious money. You're going to have to bring some real cold, hard cash to the table. But for us, we don't have to. And that's kind of what I want to start out by saying here is you don't have to have any money to buy a wildlife control company. You don't have to have any money. Zero. You could literally be living in your mom's basement and buy a wildlife control company. There are sellers out there. There are businesses out there that have been for sale for years. And there are no buyers that have come to the table. I know this because I look very often. I'm looking at what's for sale online. And I'm also talking to people in the industry regularly looking for deals. We're actively looking for deals. And there are some deals that we're interested in. And the sellers do not accept our offers because they think their business is valued more. And power to them. And then there are deals out there that we're just not interested in. You know, maybe they have great revenue, but they have horrible margins. They have a horrible uh, way of doing things, and it's just not the way that we do things. So I want to talk to you guys today about how I think about acquisitions, how our company has been doing acquisitions. We've done four. I would say they've all been successful. Some have been extraordinarily successful, just beyond what we ever expected. And this is the first year that we've been doing, or last year was the first year we've been doing deals, uh, 2021. Um, And a little backstory on the deals that we did in 2021, I began strategizing on doing this back in 2018. So in 2018, we had a company that came to us to, that offered to acquire our entire company. And it opened up my eyes to the M&A world like never before. 
and I became a student of mergers and acquisitions. And when I say student, I didn't go to college or anything like that to, to learn about it, but I bought books and I have since been a serious student when it comes to doing these things and trying to absorb as much information as possible. Going out and meeting with head of M&As for Rollins, for uh, Renekill, for anybody that I can get in front of to learn. What are you guys doing? Why are you guys doing this? And how can I do this? What are the private equity firms doing? If you don't know what private equity is, you need to learn. Very, very important. There's more and more coming into the pest control industry. I guarantee you will see a transaction in the wildlife control industry in the next 12 to 24 months regarding uh, PE firms because there is a tremendous upside in doing deals in wildlife control. But the opportunity is tremendous, and if you're not taking advantage of this, you're really missing out. Because if what if you knew you could add a million or $2 million of revenue to your business in the next 12 to 24 months, and you didn't really have to invest a whole lot of your money? I mean, it sounds pretty good, right? And a lot of people think, oh, it's too good to be true. There's no way you can do that. Well, we did it. We did it. We, now, we invested a little bit of our own money last year, 2021, but very, very little. We, we utilize a strategy called seller financing. And seller financing means that the owner of the business who's selling the business, he's holding the financing. He's agreeing to monthly, quarterly, bi-monthly. You, you hold the control over how you're going to pay that and you negotiate that with them. Hey, we're going to pay you X amount of dollars for X number of months, etc. That's what seller financing is or, or owner financing. But the first thing that you need to remember is you don't need money to buy a company. Uh, you do need to have strategy. You do need to have skill. And you need to learn all of this stuff and you need to prepare. And it's very time consuming. But going back to 2018, when I decided, hey, this is something I'm really interested in, I began... began to learn as much as I could about this world. And I didn't do any deals until 2021 um, as far as acquiring businesses, although we sold off multiple uh, legs of our business since then. You can hear traffic in the background. Possibly I'm sitting on the balcony of a cabin I rented out here in the Chattahoochee National Forest, uh, North Georgia. So the first thing I think I really recommend everybody do is ignore this podcast if you have not reached a million dollars in sales in your business. If you're not, if you've never grown a business to a million dollars in sales, I think that this is probably not something very important for you right now because you should be able to, to scale to a million dollars organically. Uh, I think it's really important to have that skill set of understanding what a real company looks like in a company. The way that I look at a company is it should run and grow without me. It does not require my presence. It might require my skill set on the front end, but on the back end, it does not require me. I need to put the right systems and processes in place to where my team can run and grow without me. And I monitor and I watch, I can watch from anywhere. 
And then as we hit certain levels of growth, I step in and I help them along the way. So I think it's really important. Get to a million dollars in revenue organically, which should mean you should have at least one manager. You need to have salespeople, one or two. You need to have some technicians. And you need to know how to generate leads on your own without hiring somebody. This helps your bottom line tremendously. You really need to understand your profit and loss statement. If you're not running a P&L every month and looking at what happened in March, in the month before, in the month before, in the month before, you need to understand what's going on with your expenses. How much are you spending in advertising? How much are you spending in payroll? What are the big companies spending? And what can I do to improve that? We're constantly looking at how do we increase our profit margins? What do we have that's in our P&L that we can get rid of? This is one thing I learned about private equity. Private equity typically, you know, if you look at some of the old-time big deals they were doing back in the day, and I know they still do this now, but you hear a lot of times where when they buy a company, they lay off a bunch of people. What they're doing is they're trying to cut costs. They're trying to identify where can we cut costs. So you're, you're, you're leaning the company out and then you bulk up and then you lean out again and then you bulk up. So that's, that's the strategy behind that. So we are constantly looking at our P&L and we're questioning every item on there. Is this the best we can do for insurance? Is this the best we can do for advertising, payroll, et cetera, et cetera? I'm not saying you should go and slash your, your technician salaries or, or hourly wage because that would probably be detrimental to your business. And uh, I think people deserve a good pay, but you need to question everything. Is this really the best way to buy vehicles? Is this the best way to do things? Are we charging enough? What is affecting the bottom line, your cash flow, your profit, your earnings, your EBITDA? And how do I improve this? So that's what we're constantly doing. And you should be a student of growth. And, and by the way, as far as the cash flow goes, I want to see at least 20%. Um, if I'm not at 20%, then something is off. So I'm, I'm constantly trying to figure out a way to, to improve that. We have a meeting every month where we look over our profit and loss statement from the month before. And we try and figure out a way to improve that if we can, unless we're just seeing incredible results. Um, so, but you should be a student of growth. You gotta know how to grow a company. If if you don't know how to grow a company, then this really doesn't even matter to you because if if you, when I say grow, I mean I don't I don't mean through acquisitions. I mean grow organically. It's really important that you know how to grow organically because that's kind of the whole strategy with a deal. You want to buy low and then sell high. So. When I look at a deal, I want to know that there are instantaneous increases post-close. So I have to be a student of growth. I got to know how to grow a company. I need to know how to bootstrap a company. I'm not depending on the bank for anything. Bootstrapped acquisitions are great. Uh and once I figure those things out, I got a million dollars in revenue. I got a great team under me. 
I understand my financials. I'm benchmarking my financials against other businesses that are more successful than mine. I understand how to generate leads. I understand how this thing works. And now that I know that, I can go ahead and start preparing myself to do deals. So these are some steps that I took. I took these steps, by the way, in 2020. And so we didn't do any deals until 2021. So it took a year. So the first thing is I need to hire an attorney to create term sheets. A term sheet would be like a letter of intent. It's an offer to buy a company. And I can edit those accordingly. I need an attorney to create purchase agreements, operating agreements, teach me about deal structures. There's there's ways to limit your liability, your personal liability, and you should. You know, the whole idea about an attorney in your business is you should always be thinking about worst case scenario. I talk a lot about worst case scenario on here. And I didn't come up with that. I learned that from somebody. Um, but why do I care about worst case scenario? Because I just don't know what's going to happen. You know, so I'm, I'm talking about buying a wildlife removal business. Wildlife removal is primarily a one-time service business. So what is the worst thing that can happen after I buy a company? Well, the worst thing that could happen is the leads go away. The Google My Business gets suspended. The advertising company goes out of business. The guy that sold me the company disappears and I'm left with a bag of crap. So I need to know what I'm getting and we're going to get into that on this. Uh, but I got to be prepared for the worst. That's the reality. So when we're valuing these companies, we're valuing them based off of worst case scenario. I can't value a company based off of best case scenario. That would be the upside. But what I'm willing to pay for it would be worst case scenario not best case scenario. So you got an attorney to create all these agreements. You got to be prepared if things go south. And remember, not all deals are equal. Um, and before you even buy anything, you need to have an exit strategy. What is your exit strategy? The exit strategy could mean the deal's growing really, really well, and maybe you already have a buyer that could, that could buy it from you which would be a, a good play. Um, or it could just be, this is how I get out of this if things go wrong. So I don't have any personal liability in the deal. You have to be prepared for these things. And I hope you never have to deal with them. Um, we have, and it's not fun. CPA is very important in this. You need to talk to a CPA before you're going to go out and buy companies. Not everything is tax deductible. I'm not a CPA and I'm not an attorney, so I'm not going to give you an advice on that. All I can say is you should definitely spend the money on professional services uh, to kind of give you some good strategies of what you can do, what you can't do, how to structure things, and maybe even hire a buy-side M&A guy if you want to help you do these things. By the way, I'd be willing to help anybody uh, do a deal um, for a fee, of course. But there's a lot of things that are just unknown, and there's just so much to know in that space where a professional is going to open up your eyes into things that you've never considered. You know, what we do is so simple. Yeah, we, a lead comes in, we go out, we sell the lead, 
we go do the service, it's done. We, we take a check or a credit card and that's it, right? No, that's not it. There's a lot more that goes into it when you're buying companies. And like I said before, I'm only buying if there is an upside. If there's no upside, I walk away. So what what is an upside? An upside would be a business that I know. So I buy the business on January 1st, 2023. I know that there are things that I'm going to do in the business that are going to immediately increase revenue, assuming the leads come in and that, that flow of, of opportunity comes in. But I know that there's going to be things that increase. If there's no opportunity for increasing the top line and decreasing the uh, expenses, I walk away. I'm not interested. So here's some things that we look for. We look for businesses that are undercharging. So they're charging less than what we know the market is paying in that market. So, for instance, if you're selling, let's say you're in uh, Chicago, Illinois, and you're charging $800 for trapping, and you ask this company for their price sheet, and they're charging $500 for, for trapping, and you know all day long you can charge $800. That is an opportunity. Here's another situation. Insurance, let's say, or any common expenses. Let's say they're spending $5,000 a year for insurance for their business, and you know that you can just tuck this, this one under your umbrella and you can continue to pay $5,000 a year for insurance. So there's a $5,000 in cost savings that goes right to the bottom line of your profit and loss statement. That is an upside as well. Uh, maybe it's advertising. Maybe you know a company that could increase your advertising and it's super beneficial and it costs less than using their current uh, company to get those leads. How about recurring revenue? They don't have any recurring revenue. They're not doing warranty renewals on exclusion work. This is an opportunity. I start cross-selling recurring revenue, whether it's pest control or ongoing squirrel control or whatever it might be, deterrence. Well, now I'm increasing that revenue. And because I'm increasing that recurring revenue, there is an upside. Um, Another obvious one is just what services do they provide? And this is what you learn in your multiple discussions with this company. If they're not offering all the services that you offer and you start to offer all those services, well, what's going to happen? The revenue is going to go up. That means the profit should go up as well. And now there's an upside. So that's what I'm looking for. If I can't, if there is no upside after the deal goes through, I'm not interested. That's just the way it is. I don't care how good of a deal it is. That's our focus, and we're not willing to budge. That doesn't mean it has to be your focus. That's just what we do. And it's worked tremendously well. You know, those of us who sell insulation, um, those of us who just tack on, you know, several thousand dollars worth of services to a to an average house, and, you know, you're not going to sell that at every house, but if this one company's average sale is a thousand for exclusion work and the whole package and your average is 3000, well, what's going to happen to the revenue? It's going to jack up. So very, very, very important. We also are very um, focused on where we will buy. Like I said, we're willing to look at a business anywhere, but 
there are certain markets that we are not interested in. So we are focused on where we are going to buy. And you got to kind of have a talk with yourself here. How much are you willing to travel? If you're going to buy a company that's far away from home, you got to be ready to travel a lot. Last year, uh, I was living in South Florida, and I still do, but I we bought a company in Durham, North Carolina, and I was I was there every other week for probably two or three months. So I was doing lots of traveling um, just to get everything going how I wanted it to be. Making Because when we bought that company, there's no vehicles. Um, so I had to get vehicles. I had to uh, hire a team. I had to kind of, I wanted to test the market for myself to see what the opportunity was with sales. So there's just, there's just a lot of things to do when you're talking about transitioning that business. So I needed to know that, hey, I can travel in order to make this deal work. So you got to be willing to travel if you're married or you have a girlfriend and they can't travel and you're going to be gone a lot. You know, this is a very serious conversation I think you should probably have. And you got to be willing to travel without a notice. You know, if something happens and you're just a small business and you don't have a regional manager that can jump around for you, you've got to be willing to travel on a short-term notice, which means canceling fun plans that you might have for yourself and your family. Is this a market that you want to be in long-term? That's a really important question to ask yourself. You know, maybe you're willing to travel for a little while, but how long are you willing to travel? Very, very, very important. We talked about exit strategy. So you should have an exit strategy, I think, before you acquire. But I think, you know, when I'm looking at my business, we have an exit goal in mind. When we get to a certain point in time, we know that we will exit. So you should, I think in this case, you don't have to, but I think it's beneficial to kind of have a timeline of when you're going to accomplish certain goals. And that way your acquisitions align within that goal. Um, that's something I learned from private equity. Valuation. So you should know and understand what a valuation in our industry is. There are some companies that might be overpaying for acquisitions. Maybe not. Um, I think you could probably talk to some uh, investment bankers out there, some business brokers. Most of them are not selling many wildlife control companies, but you could you could compare our service to any other one-time service. You know, a small plumbing company, maybe a small HVAC company. Hey, what are you selling these businesses for? Um, you know, for us, we don't value them typically over three times their profit. Uh, what we're doing is we take their trailing 12 P&L, so their, their last 12 months profit and loss statement, and then we are putting our profit and loss statement right next to it in a spreadsheet. And what I'm doing is I'm identifying 
And when I say ours, I'm, I mean theirs. So I'm literally making a duplicate of their P&L next to the one that they sent me. And I'm taking out the expenses that we wouldn't have. And then I'm adding in the expenses that we would have. I'm just editing it to fit under our management. So I know there's going to be certain cost changes. Maybe it's payroll. Maybe it's uh, credit card processing, insurance, advertising, whatever it might be. Obviously, I got to add in the potential financing for the deal. Whatever it might be, I need to create a, a forecast for the next year or two or three or four of what kind of cash flow I'm going to expect out of the deal. And again, this is based off of worst case scenario, and that's what I'm using to value the business. So I'm taking a multiple of that. So for instance, let's say it's a $100,000 a year business, and uh, that's their top line revenue. Their cash flow while they were running it was $50,000, and that's what they paid themselves. There's no payroll. Well, unfortunately for that seller, I have to add in an employee, potentially, to operate that business, unless... I'm already servicing that area. So if it's an area I'm not currently servicing, I know I'm going to have to add in an employee to run that. So I have to add in payroll. So instead of them having $50,000 in profit, they might have you know, $15,000, $20,000 in profit. But there might be other areas where we can improve the P&L. So it could go up. But that's just a, an easy example of how we look at that. But we're doing a multiple of one to three times for a really small business like that. I'm not going over three. And the reason I'm not going over three is traditionally a one-time service business that's doing less than half a million dollars in sales is being valued at one to three times. Very simple. Uh, you could also just look at the internet and ask Google what a one-time service business is being valued at. That's what we're doing, and it's worked out great for us so far. So this is something, and I'm going down a list if you can't tell, this is something that is really important too. So, you know, you found a, a company that you're interested in buying, you're having a conversation with the owner, he's he's wanting to exit, or she, there's plenty of women in our industry. Why do they sell to you? Not not that they have a lot of buyers at the table, but I think you need to have a, a sales pitch as to why they should sell to you you might not have the highest bid. So like, for instance, pretty often when we're at the table with sellers, there might be one other buyer. Usually it's an individual. It's not a company. So usually it's just another guy that, you know, he, uh, you know, he's retired early from military or something like that. And he's just bored. And he, he thinks he wants to get into the wildlife removal industry sounds interesting, sounds fun. And a lot of times those guys that are the individuals that are trying to buy these types of businesses, they're usually coming in with a cash offer, which I think is a horrible idea. Um, so sometimes it's hard to compete with them. But I think one way to compete with a a buyer like that is what experience do they have running a wildlife control business? 
Well, they don't have any experience. Well, I have tons of experience. I've been doing this for 12 years or however, however long you've been doing it. And I also have experience growing the business, which we talked about earlier. Get your, you're able to get to a million dollars. So you tell the seller. So our, our sales pitch is we tell the sellers, look, we'll give you, we'll create a new entity. We'll creating an, create an operating agreement for that entity. So ABC123 LLC. And then we're going to give you equity in that entity. So you still own a piece of it. So yeah, we might not be paying as much as Joe Schmo at the, at the, on the front end, but long-term you're going to make more money off the deal. So that that's our sales pitch to the sellers if they're interested in doing that. So um, you know, that's just what we do and it seems to work well for us so far. But you know, for us, we're typically a lower bid, but there's a higher opportunity in the long run. So on the front end, it doesn't look like as much cash as a individual that might be interested in you know, getting an SBA loan for the whole thing. And you, you get all that money up front as the seller. Um, but for us, we know, hey, look, you're a $100,000 a year business right now. We're going to turn this into a million dollar business in the next two years. And you're going to own a piece of that, and we're going to pay you a piece of the profits every quarter or every month or whatever it might be. And then when we decide to exit one day in the future, you obviously get a piece of that too. So this person is getting maybe a little bit of cash at closing. They're getting guaranteed monthly or quarterly payments via seller or owner financing. And then on top of that, they're getting a dividend. And then after that, they're possibly getting a big chunk of money uh, when we exit in the future. So that's our sales pitch. And, you know, I can understand why somebody wouldn't want to do that. But, you know, there's a tremendous opportunity there. A really important to ask any seller is, why do you want to exit? If it's a younger guy, this is a very, very important question. Like, what is it about this industry that sucks so much to you? Why do you, why do you hate it? Why is this not something that you want to do anymore? So very, very important question to ask. Uh, and I think you should ask these hard questions in person or via zoom because it, it tells, it tells a lot about the individual and it kind of gives you an idea of what's really going on. Cause maybe there's some things going on that aren't, you know, so obvious. Um, and, and that's where it's important to understand a P and L because their P and L tells a story and helps you understand what, what they're doing and how they're doing it. So I'll tell you a story. We once looked at a business and the business, you know, we got their financials. We signed the non, the NDA, um, they were working with a broker and this business P&L looked fairly strong. They had pretty good numbers. And you could see that the seller was running quite a few personal expenses through the P&L, and that's okay. So those are addbacks into cash flow. That's, that's fine. No big deal. See that with most smaller companies. And after we uh, identified you know, the financials and thought, okay, you know, this might be something we'd be willing to look at. And just for the record, let's just say this business is in Seattle, Washington. Um, the, uh, we then scheduled a meeting in person 
with the seller and the broker. And we asked him, how are you getting your business? So in the P&L, by the way, there's no advertising cost. There's no marketing cost anywhere. So how are you getting your business? And he said, we advertise. We have a bunch of ads running. I said, oh, okay, well, that's not in your P&L. And he said, I know, I didn't put it in there. <laughs> so this is a huge red flag. And uh, at that point, you know, we're just not interested in doing the deal. But, you know, this is a, a good example of a worst case scenario. Can you imagine if we bought that company and come to find out the cash flow that we thought it had is far worse because um, his advertising cost was ridiculous. It was like 20% of revenue. So thank God we, we caught that. But we might may not have, and that would have been really, really bad for us. So really, really important to understand what's going on and, you know, ask a lot of questions. We ask questions about every single line item in the P&L. What is this? What is this? What is this? Your version of supplies might be different from their version. Um, payroll cost, is their payroll included in the payroll? Are they paying themselves? Uh, through the payroll. These are very important questions to ask yourself. And it's so important because we're uh, mostly a one-time service business. We must know where is the business coming from? Do you have lead generation? You know, we actually like to find businesses that aren't doing any advertising. Um, do you have any recurring revenue? What services do you offer? Do you have price sheets? Do you have a standard operating procedures? What do your employees get paid? How long have your employees been there? Very important. If they've only been there a week and you buy the company, they might not like that. Um, uh, let's see. Do you have any vehicles? How many miles do you have on each vehicle? Do you have supplies that are coming with the business? You know, traps, equipment, etc. Um where do you buy your supplies? Now, this is another one of those upside questions. If they buy their supplies somewhere that you know it costs more to buy supplies at, well, you can decrease cost right there. Um, what products do you use? Again, same thing. This is an upside question. If you, if they are buying uh, or using products that you know it's completely unnecessary, well, that saves your company money. Um, I think just more than anything, you have to be very, very focused when in, in discipline, when you're looking at deals, don't get so excited about just doing a deal. You need to have focus of this is why we're going to do the deal. This is where our exit is. If we have to exit, whether in a good way or a, or a bad way. Um, and I think you should never, if you're buying these small companies that haven't been around for very long. Never pay cash to buy a wildlife control business. Uh, I would never do it unless they're just really, really highly recurring. And I wouldn't pay a hundred percent of the purchase price. I would, I would do what's called a holdback, which is a safe way to make sure that you don't get stuck paying for something that isn't what you thought it was. Um, so we always use seller financing. You can use bank financing for a portion too, not the whole thing. Um, but you know, there's there's a there's a couple reasons why we like to do seller financing. 
So one is if the business isn't what the seller says it is, he knows that it's going to be hard for us to make those payments to him from the cash flow of his business. Like if the business is running at a loss, he's going to know, oh, well, there's no way they're going to be able to afford to pay me because it doesn't make any money. So that's obviously an issue. Um, and, and that's also why we want them to own equity in a new entity that we're going to create that essentially is going to be the entity that buys the company. Because why would you want to, be, if you're a seller, this is the way I look at it, it, why would you want to own a part of a company that you know is going to fail? You wouldn't. There would be no benefit to you to do that. And the other thing is, even though you're doing seller financing, you know, after you've been doing it for a year or so and you're making payments and everything's going good, uh, you're making those payments to the seller, you can then go to a bank. And we're in the process process of actually doing this right now because we did a bunch of seller financing with several deals last year. And we show the bank, hey, look at our increase in cash flow. Look at our financials. And the bank says, wow, that's impressive. How did you do that? And we say, well, we bought these companies and we'd like to refinance them. So we're able to now go to the bank and refinance these deals. And it's super beneficial for us. So what that does is increases our cash flow tremendously. It lowers our payments. So it's, it's a, a great opportunity. And speaking of, of seller financing, we didn't really get into that, but Real quick, one way that I, our, our, our company has done these deals is, so we look at their cash flow. So their cash flow is very, very important. If, if you are buying a company using seller financing, you need to understand what the forecasted cash flow is going to be. So how much profit am I going to have in the next 12 months? in the next 24 months, 36 months, etc. Also, determine are there any months that I can expect a decrease in revenue? Um, some areas it's seasonal and you might want to plan your owner financing accordingly. So one method that we, we use, I'll try not to screw this up because I'm not great at doing math in my head, but let's just say the business cash flow is $100,000 a year. Um, that's after you've edited their P&L to match what it would look like to operate under your business, under this new entity that you're going to create. So $100,000, that's great. And let's say I'm valuing the company at $300,000. I might, um, now I'm going to get with my CPA to kind of determine what my tax is going to be that I'm going to have to pay on this because this is something we didn't get into either, but part of the payments that you're going to have to pay the seller are not tax deductible. You cannot write them off. So you still have to claim that money. So even if you have an extra $100,000 of cash coming in um, and maybe you're, you're, you're giving the seller $50,000 a year, well, you're still going to have to pay tax as your income tax on a part of that $50,000. Again, I'm not a CPA, so I might be screwing this up. But this is just something to ask your CPA about before you provide an offer. So let's just say the CPA says, yep, sounds good. You can definitely do 
$50,000 a year payments to the seller. It'll work out. You'll have enough cash to pay taxes on the income, et cetera. So that's what you do is you pay the seller $50,000 a year for a certain number of years until the $300,000 is paid off. Um, on some deals we did where we pay them monthly and I've actually found it's better to pay them quarterly just in case there are any downswings in revenue. So we pay the seller every three months versus every month. And it's just easier for us. And now on our internal P&Ls, what we do is we take that, that, that quarterly payment that we know we're going to make and we go ahead and deduct a third of that each month and put it into reserves so that we have that money to pay the seller and we don't use it because we all know it's easy to spend money. Have a transition plan in place too before you buy these companies. Who's going to do what? Have a good checklist of everything that's going to be switched over. Websites, Google My Business, you know, any technology they're going to be using. Um, man, there's just so much to learn in this. And now I realize why it took me so long to do my first deal. But I can promise you this. This is a massive opportunity for your business. We added over a million dollars in revenue last year from doing acquisitions. The acquisitions that we did last year are going to generate nearly $2 million in revenue this year. Buy low, sell high, my friends. Great opportunity out there. I'm so excited about 2022. We are on track to have another record year. Um, I just can't say enough good things about the wildlife control industry right now and the opportunities that we have uh, to be in such a great industry. I hope this found you well. And again, if you are interested in getting some help in doing your own deals, I'm not an M&A guy by any means, but I would love to help you out and ask you some hard questions and maybe even get an opportunity to sit at the table with you. Hope you had a safe and blessed day, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to today's episode. It was brought to you by Conserve. Do you run a wildlife removal business and feel like you have no freedom? You're taking the phone calls, you're doing the services, and you just don't have enough free time for yourself. Are you ready to double or triple the size of your company and build a business that can run and grow without you while steadily increasing your profits? Well, Conserve partners with businesses just like yours all over the country, and together we are building a fast-growing business around your goals and lifestyle. We can reduce your operating costs, we can increase your sales, and give you, the owner, more freedom and help you build a business that runs and grows without you. To set up an initial consultation, email us at growth at conservemail.com. That's G-R-O-W-T-H at C-O-N-S-E-R-V-M-A-I-L dot com.